podcast ain't played nobody. Espionage edition, or at least the first segment. I don't know. I hadn't done this in a while. And by yeah, the way, we're blowing it already. We're gonna we're gonna have a talk about how we're gonna have a talk about enunciation and pronunciation, and how when you let the kids on the show, the whole thing goes to hell. That was a um, nice. That was a nice. Uh, for, for three days, my mentions were semi-flooded with, no, it's Pappen. No, it's P-A-P-N. Um, that is the sign of a podcast that has a built-in audience, uh, that some stupid mundane topic can actually um, you know, distract me for a while. So okay, well, let, let, let's get us. this out of the way, because we have, a, we have a, a mountain of news to get to since you and I have been together. It is P-A-P-N. Yeah. It's, yeah. This is the law. This is the official guidebook pronunciation, okay? In the PAPN style book, we never say Pappen. Yeah, and I mean, if you want to like, you know, if you want to emphasize like Pappen, like I can kind of get behind that a little bit, but no, it's, it's PAPN. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. All right. Um, Wakey Leaks. It's <laughs> the worst. So one of the worst programs, is it? We have to rationalize one of the worst programs in college football over X amount of years since, I don't know, whenever they played Boston College in the uh, ACC title game. George Tech. They were, that's right, they were victims of some sort of espionage that didn't really matter. You, you I guess what I'm getting at is, and like all the details are coming out, and I got to start trying to figure out how we're going to write about this, but... What a useless piece of espionage, right? So you, if you apply yeah. the stakes involved to, like, 60 other schools, 60 <laughs> other schools, this is the biggest college football story of the year. But, but Wake is, like, one of 10 crappy programs, like, aggregate crappy over a decade where, oh, okay, well, did it hurt them? Can we even tell? Yeah, I mean, technically, so two years ago, I think, like, so what we've established is that he was doing this about over the last two years or so, is that right? Yeah. Well, 2014 then, in theory, maybe before things started, they had possibly the worst offense in the history of power college football, or at least in, in recent memory. Uh, they were truly awful, like not, uh, lacking talent and completely and totally devoid of any experience whatsoever. Um, since then... They have at least improved slightly. They were they have gone from 128th or so to 112th in offense this year. Um, they actually scored more than 20 points on one, two, three, four, five occasions. Uh, mm-hmm. So they they are actually kind of getting somewhere. But really, what I mean, it just seems like a waste of people's time to share. This was we're sure this was an offensive playbook or offensive plays, right? Because the defense is where you need help with Wake Forest. Uh, the defense is where Louisville sure as hell needed help with Wake Forest. Took them a long time to get going um, in their game on November 12th. But, yeah, um, somebody was helping to keep down an already down offense uh, and going to very, very unique lengths to, to do it. Now, I will – my only – the only thing that's going to impact me here is that it's already harder than ever to get, like, uh, I, I don't know, a depth chart. It's already harder than ever to get like coaches are already hilariously, stupidly secretive as is, uh, and now they actually have some sort of evidence for being hilariously, stupidly uh, secretive, and it's just going to get dumber and dumber. I, I just I haven't really wrapped my brain around the story yet, and in in other than just laughing at the Wake Forest part of it, um, the the channels for security have increased. I wouldn't say dramatically in recent years, but I think people are starting to get smarter about. Um, uh, really more about video than anything else, not so much about the playbooks themselves, although I guess the potential for this is getting higher and higher because almost every university now is installing entire books and entire like packages onto iPads for every single player. So you start thinking about the you know the number of iPads that are out there on a campus and what the you know the kids may be using them and yeah, like is it possible to hack in and do this? It's possible, yeah. Um, I think maybe video cut-ups, that's probably another thing. Not, not video cut-ups of previous games, like you access those anyway. It's video cut-ups of like Tuesday's practice where you go in and you're like, okay, we, we need to fix this and this and the, right. uh, you know, the, the plays we're going to run Saturday. 
Um, I just, I, it, it's still just funny to me. Um, I wanted to start with it because it it's the most recent news item, but maybe my, I guess, opinion or even what the hell I'm going to do for the job on this is like TBD. Uh, it's a mess. It's embarrassing as all hell. It's also like probably the pettiest thing I've ever heard of in terms of somewhat, like in terms of the latent hostility toward passive aggressive employer employee relations for a guy on the radio team. And for those of you who don't know, I think most people would know this. If you are the play by play or the color analyst for a college's like radio net, like the Wake Forest radio network, which I think they're IMG or maybe Learfield. You're an actual employee of the university in that regard. Um, actually, you know what's? I'm just thinking out loud. We should have on. I know. I know a couple of people who who work in that capacity for, you know, other universities, and and they. I guess they are privy to a lot of stuff. It's just it's it's fascinating, but also really funny at the same time. We haven't had a good story like this in a while. And hey, there's nothing really that makes you your stomach turn on this. You know, think about that's, it. That's true. We don't have any sexual assault, like abuse, concussion, alley. Like it's it's kind of nice. This is just dumb. We haven't it had a good a little, dumb controversy in a while. It did get a little negative yesterday when people remember that Bobby Petrino was involved because it went from, uh, you know, holy crap and everybody having fun with the hashtag wakey leaks and whatnot to oh yeah, Bobby Petrino cheating. I could see that, and and it got a little kind of typical college football in there. Yeah. But at the same time, it was Bobby Petrino involved. So what are you gonna do? It's very strange. Bill, what the hell have I missed? Uh, well, not a whole hell of a lot. You missed Peisman uh, while you were on uh, assignment writing a, a lovely story that I'm sure all of our audience has read by this point uh, about the Army-Navy game from the Army point of view. Um, I, you know, the, I, other than coaching hires and, and Peisman, I, I would say you picked a pretty good time to be, uh, you know, persona non grata in the internet world, although you really weren't. Uh, if, uh, people follow, if, if people follow you on Instagram, it was not, there was no non grata about it, but still. Yeah, I was trying to figure out how to tease that. By the way, if you follow me on the uh, official, the 38 Godfrey Instagram, I don't really know what to do with it, so I'm open to suggestions. Yeah. So, I've been watching you because I want to figure out what I should be doing with Instagram. So, uh, yeah, whatever you decide, let me know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, hey, guess what? This is podcasting. Play nobody. It's a college football marriage of numbers and words. Uh, this is the no agenda edition. We're just going to kind of vamp for a second before I get on a plane and go back home. Um, I've been on the road in Baltimore, West Point, New York, and I'm currently in Washington, D.C., the home of snbnation.com bloggins. Um, so I'm going to be off the road, and we're going to be back on a normal pod- podcast schedule, I guess, all the way through the new year. Uh, Bill, I will be headed to the Fiesta Bowl, um, ostensibly to write an Alabama game preview. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, everyone. Sorry, other three teams involved, but the decision was made for me to go to the Fiesta Bowl only because you know exactly what you're going to write, which is that you're going to write an Alabama national championship preview story on the team that has to play them. By the way, committing all of this now to fact and public record means that Washington is going to pull the upset Hell of this injury. Yes. And, and, you know, and that is not a terrible alternative, is it? No, not at all, because then I get to write a story about the sudden favorite, right? The new yeah, presumptive favorite. Well, it, although, it, I mean, if, if you beat Washington, I mean, if you beat Alabama. As, yeah, but wouldn't you still take, like, I would still, no, no, I guess you're right. If, if Washington beats Alabama, I don't think you would necessarily put your money on Ohio State or Clemson. We'll have to find out. Um, Bill, let's do coaching hires. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, so um, before I decided to drown everybody on my Twitter feed with uh, what was, I think, about 20 bowl stat preview things with 20 more coming up today. um, Before that, I I wrote a lengthy piece grading all the bowl hires and sharing some opinions on them. And uh, I proceeded to, like I said, drown it out. But um, I really... This this reminds me a lot of the 2013-14 cycle where um, Chris Peterson at Washington, James Franklin at Penn State, Petrino at Louisville, Harson at Boise, um, even Dave Clawson at Wake, Craig Bowl, Blake Anderson, Jeff Munkin, Chris, uh, Chris Creighton, uh, Dino ba- uh, Babers at Bowling Green. It seemed like a lot of schools made very, very sound logical hires. Not all of them. Uh, well, uh, there was all there was, they were logical. You can still quibble with a few of them, but experience 
was a, a big factor in a lot of cases and, and, and in very sensible ways. Everything was like, for most, for the most part, most hires were basically, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and that's always weird. I mean, technically, this isn't a zero-sum gain, so it's not like you know, fifty of these are or fifty percent of these hires are guaranteed to fail. But usually, you, uh, we end up thinking about two-thirds of hires are good, and not all of them end up succeeding. But I mean, when when Florida Atlantic lands like you know the former USC coach, it was a pretty successful uh, cycle, I think. I'm trying to think. Uh, I think Jeff Collins at Temple is awesome. Obviously, I've um, I've covered Jeff Collins before. Um, by the way, RIP to Matt Rule. Um, it's a shame that you moved on to a program we don't cover, can't figure out how to cover. Um, and I don't mean that in a snipey way. I just remember, like, actually, you know what? Jeff Collins is awesome because the defensive guy got a head job, which doesn't happen much anymore. Um, he was the swag juice guy that we covered at SB Nation. And then um, I embedded with him for a week three years ago when he was the D.C. at Mississippi State. Matt Rule, let's just, let, let's just use this as a session for work. Bill, how are we going to cover, like, what do we do with Matt Rule? So for those of you who don't know, Matt Rule, Bill, you visited with him multiple times, right? Yes, correct. Um, you and I hung out with him at the AAC event in Newport this, uh, during the offseason or preseason or whatever. Genuinely, like, functional human being, of which <laughs> that's, we're talking about, like, 5% of head coaches at, at the D1 level are functional human beings, right? Capable of having a conversation about something other than football, um, you know, act normal in public, that kind of thing. Um, now he's at Baylor, which is yes. the most functionless sort of still TBD kind of situation. Because I still feel like it's not, we don't know everything we need to to figure out what to say about it. So what do we do here? Well, I mean, I think this is a, you know, this was a fantastic hire from the standpoint, well, from the standpoint of quality potentially, but also from the standpoint of moving on. Uh, obviously there's still going to be stuff coming out, uh, from, uh, and that needs to come out from, uh, the previous regime and whatnot, but this gives us a chance to, it's not like they hired, uh, Bryle's son. They didn't hire Bennett. They didn't hire anybody with any Baylor ties whatsoever. You know, what was it? One year, one year in 2001, Matt rule, uh, coached outside of the Eastern time zone. Uh, like one year he was like the assistant O-line coach at US or UCLA or something like that. Uh, otherwise, he has been removed. He has completely been removed from the from uh, Texas, from Baylor, from anything like of the na- of that nature. So, that, I, I mean, that's probably the best way to go here. We can talk about Baylor moving forward. We can talk about Baylor as a football program, uh, not one with all these sleazy ties to gross things. And they still exist, and we will still talk about them. But at least we can compartmentalize here. Um, and I think moving forward, you know, watching what rule has done in terms of like making sure no, pretty much with the hires he's making, with the connections he's making, openly acknowledging that he has no Texas ties in terms of recruiting and whatnot and going out of his way to rectify that, that and bringing, you know, 118 year old, uh, what's his name, ben, the, his defensive coordinator of choice, Snow, um, who has done such good work at Temple, um, I, you know, from a pure aesthetic standpoint, I, you know, I, it, it kind of stinks that Baylor isn't going to be running Baylor's offense anymore. But is it kind of impossible to separate the sight of Baylor's offense with, um, w- well, with our brows and the things that our brows did or allegedly did or whatever. So um, I like it from the standpoint of being able to com- com- compartmentalize and feel at least semi OK with actually talking about the football side of Baylor football. Knowing that we're still going to talk about the other stuff when when things when when uh, the proper things arise, right? Um, we haven't done a show since Willie Taggart went to Oregon. We haven't done a show since Major Applewhite was hired, right at Houston. Correct. This, this is correct, right? I, I think yeah. so. A lot happened in the last two weeks. Um. Let me start with Taggart. Obviously, we spent some time with him on uh, Thanksgiving week at USF. Um, I don't think it was any mystery to anybody that there was a, a pretty substantial chance that he was going to move on while I was down there. We, we talked about that a lot. Um, he uh, Oregon's a unique thing. I, I think the thing that appealed to Taggart the most, and I'm not going to – I don't think I'm going to make any smart Oregon fan mad by saying this, was not necessarily the um, – the beautiful terrain of the Pacific Northwest, but 
it was that he viewed Oregon as a unique commodity with in terms of the Nike stuff, in terms of the branding and, and the recruiting aspect. Because Oregon alone is not somewhere you look at and you go, I can take my system from Florida where there's so much talent that I basically only have to recruit six counties right. and go to Oregon. Um, it's going to be, it, that's kind of a bet though. That's a gamble, no doubt. I mean, he's going to have to reignite some, some exuberance in that Oregon brand that we haven't seen in a couple of years. So it'll be very interesting. Also, this is a really good, excuse me, this is a really good Pac-12 North now. Like, it's substantially better than when yeah. Chip Kelly's rise began. So, it's not like he doesn't know that going in. He just hired Jim Levitt yesterday, um, which is a huge, huge hire. Yeah, that was um, lovely. All, there, were, there were a lot of teams looking at Jim Levitt. For, so, for him to go to Oregon, is, that's substantial. Um, oh, it's the maid. Come back later. <laughs> yeah. They did that to us in New York last week, too. They know you're checking out. What, what are we... But they should know. It's supposed to be on that little so paper. Happy to be back on the show, Bill. We're hitting all of our cliches. This is fantastic. If my, my dog phone's is going to ring. Oh, no, no, no. Sorry. No, my phone is not going to ring because I took the damn thing out of the room. Um, nice. I, you know, I realize the entertainment value and all, but I fit, you know, you don't want to run a joke into the ground. So I took it out of the room before it just got truly tired. Um, yeah. So sorry for this delirium edition. I guess we just kind of rant and ramble. Um, <laughs> As opposed to the others. Taggart went two and ten his first year at Western Kentucky. Yeah, he went two and ten his first year at USF. I don't know if he can afford to go two and ten in his first year at Oregon. No, he's not going to go two and ten. I, I, I mean, I think I'm really curious where the bar is set, um, but I'm really, you know, they, I, I'm, I'm not that worried about them next year. At least in, if we're talking about like six, seven, eight wins, I, mm-hmm. they're not going to suddenly go 11 and one or anything. No, uh, it's going to take, among other things, it's, it's going to take Levitt more than a year to really probably put together a functional defense there. They were so incredibly young, uh, like two leading tacklers were freshmen. Good, pretty good freshmen. I mean, uh, Troy Dye, especially, but then you've got a bunch of sophomores in the mix. You have almost no seniors whatsoever. So there's going to be more experience next year. And that's great. I'm just not actually sure about the talent level that they have on defense. And, and that's not something, I mean, Levitt didn't make an immediate splash at Colorado either. Uh, they had talent and experience and injury problems mm-hmm. uh, when he first got to Colorado. Um, but no, I mean, if they, you know, it's, it's not hard to see this team being at least decent next year, because among other things, even with the freshman quarterback and all the youth on the offensive side of the ball, still 21st in offensive S and P plus, um, with a freshman quarterback. And so, you know, you combine that with, if, if you can at least make the defense functional, like 119th in defensive S and P plus not functional, if you can get it up into the 60s, 70s, 80s then suddenly that's a top 40 team and, and you can still win a decent number of games as a, as a top 40 Pac-12 team. It's, um, but based on the approach that he's going to take, to me it's you go through and do what you can on this recruiting cycle. Um, you try and get the message out there as fast as possible and, and you pick up a, a couple key guys and then you sort of flood and go all in on 18 with the Nike camps with Spark and the opening and all that. Right. And you make and you, you do whatever you can. Hold the rope. You do whatever you can to keep Justin Herbert in. Uh, in, in I was gonna. Here's where I normally name the uniform colors, but that doesn't really apply here. In an Oregon uniform. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny you bring that up. It's the last thing, and then we'll move on. Is they also need to figure out a way to to pivot on that stuff. I mean, it's, I don't know how you change it up or do something different when you're always changing it up and always doing something different. But it needs to be the approach needs to be refreshed. It needs to be as cool as it was uh, ten years ago, which is which is really tough because the whole conceit of the I think Oregon tweeted this out the day that Taggart was hired. You know, our tradition is, prog- is progression or something like that, or evolution. I don't know. Um, they've got to figure out what the next step is because guess what? Like, I was at Army Navy and they got cool new uniforms for that game, right? right. And I, you know, you go to. I don't know, like Middle Tennessee State has an alternate uniform now, like multiple. It's it's become commonplace. So what is the next thing that's going to ignite interest in a 16-year-old in Dallas, Texas, or, you know, Tampa, Florida, to going all the way out to Eugene? Yeah. You've got to, that's probably, to hell with the defense, to me, that's the biggest thing they've got to figure out. Not exactly sure what that answer is either. Yeah, no, I mean – yeah, that's one thing about committing yourself to being progressive and whatnot is you have to continue. To, like even if you find something that works, you you're you're kind of 
you're putting more of it on yourself than you almost need to. But I mean, you know, that's that's where you are. I'm not worried about their offense, but it, you know, it's probably not going to be anything incredibly different next year for better or worse. By the way, Southern Utah, Nebraska, and at Wyoming is how they start 2017. Pretty decent. So a couple, not, not like you know, they're gonna they should be able to to out talent Wyoming. Um, although the game's in Laramie. Yeah, um, exactly. Like they, there's a potential. Ooh, gotta uh, go to that man. <laughs> There's a potentially nice. Oh, that's right. We still need to. It's almost the off season. We need to figure out where we're going to going to go so that we can all root for the visiting team. Um, uh, well, so that one doesn't work. The, oh, that's true. Yes, never mind. Never mind. Uh, Nebraska at home is a nice opportunity, and yeah. Wyoming on the road is a nice landmine. So it'll be kind of interesting. It'll be very interesting. Um, okay, so we'll run through these real fast. Um, and I'll just try and chip off what I know. Okay, obviously, uh, so Taggart leaves USF. Charlie Strong comes in. Um, I think everybody knows what Charlie Strong is, and especially, um, God, I hate to qualify this at this level, but at this level, Charlie Strong is one of the best coaches the AAC has ever seen. Um, it won't take long. This really won't take long at all. This USF I'm, team, if he can get Marlon Mack to come back, is, right. holy crap, this is like an 11-1 team. I am fascinated, by the way. Well, yeah, number one, I mean, Applewhite uh, inherits a ton of Houston, as we'll talk about. Memphis is going to be really good. USF should, yeah, they, they should not, especially if he kind of accepts what the offense is and goes with it. Um, you know, that, that kind of, his offensive decisions early on kind of doomed him at Texas. But regardless, yeah, that, that seems like a very friendly situation. But really, mm-hmm. uh, one of the subplots to all of this is USF, FAU, FIU, all threats to take the kid, the Florida kids that don't end up at Florida, Florida State, and Miami. It's um, weird how much this affects schools like, and I'm not kidding, like Wisconsin. Yeah, yeah. It, like well, the yeah, three-star yeah, wide receiver that doesn't right. get the offers from FSU, Miami, and Florida goes to a good Big Ten school, a good uh, middle-of-the-road SEC school, right? right? Now, I'm really curious about the wow. effects here. Like, I'm almost kind of comforted by the fact that Missouri hasn't made a lot of inroads in Florida as compared to other places uh, because they won't lose much uh, with, uh, this way. But it's going to be really curious just how well USF, FAU, and FIU can all recruit now. It's, it's obviously going to be tamped down by the level of play. You can't promise a national title. You can't do any of that. But they're damn good recruiters, and they have ties and history in the area. And they're going to land some guys that, like you said, would have gone to a Big Ten school or an SEC school. You have Charlie Strong returning sort of to his home state. I know he's from Arkansas, but, like, it's definitely the place where he made his bones as a coach. And he's, he's, recruited, my, he's recruited Miami. He's recruited Florida better than a lot of coaches have in history. Um, you know, he was – he helped kind of build Urban Meyer's Florida. Not helped. I mean, he was a huge, huge part of that. Um, so you have him. You have Butch Davis, essentially a national title-winning coach you know, essentially. Um, sorry, Larry Coker. You have, so that, and he's at maybe the worst, although I guess Lane, I guess I would actually rank FAU as the lowest. Um, you have Scott Frost, who, yep. when I was embedded with Taggart, I was sitting there watching a bunch of, like, everyone on Taggart's staff. And I wasn't really doing a story about that game, but I, was, I would still sit there and watch film with them. They were just blown away by how fast this US, the UCF program had turned around, and how I mean, good. A lot of them said like they're going to be really good next year. They're going to be really good in the future. They've almost got a top fifty class this year so far. Yeah. So, damn. Like, there's just no out there. It's going to be really interesting. Um, uh, coaching hires of of interest. Um, you know, nothing to say really right now about Fresno and like Jeff Tedford or any of that. But um. Jay Norvell at Nevada is interesting, but, I, again, kind of the same situation there. Tom Allen, I, I want to talk about Indiana, but we'll do that in a, on a future show. I still got to figure out some things about Indiana and what's going on there. <laughs> yeah. Um, Jeff Brom. Yeah. Good Good for, you know, so, as we, we've so been, a really, uh, really good coach went to – like a really good coach went to Purdue. Yeah. A coach that runs, like, an exciting system. I really. Um, Do we have I, to just stop I, now? Like, like, is the show over? <laughs> I didn't like how how many people immediately uh, added us on Twitter. 
uh, the moment that Purdue made a competent hire. No, I, I, I'm, I know I'm terrible at self-promotion because I completely forgot that I had written that Brom should be at the top of Purdue's list, mainly because I didn't think it was going to happen. But it's, it's a great hire. It doesn't mean it's going to work. It's a hard job and all of that. But he fits the mold of the, the best hires Purdue has made in the last 40 years. And he's, I mean, like I like I've said before, I think Western he, I think Western Kentucky kind of gamed S and P plus a little bit when it comes to uh, just absolutely destroying Conference USA teams right out of the gates, but not necessarily looking like a top twenty team against like Vanderbilt. Um, so I, I do think that you know it's probably not a completely legitimate top fifteen, but it means something. They've been in the top fifteen two straight years at Western Kentucky. And and they're, they're 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 good. They average forty five points per game. If he can average thirty five points per game, and be in the top forty at Purdue, he's going to win a lot of games, and that's awesome. Like I I mean I'm I can't say more than that. I don't want to put the bar too high, but they hired a good coach with a good offense and a guy who's used to the area who can recruit the area at least reasonably well. He doesn't have to sign top twenty classes. He was right. again putting a top fifteen product on the field with top like seventy classes. So, awesome. Good job, Purdue. Definitely, definitely a candidate for um, concerned about Florida because this is, this <laughs> is the kind of Big Ten school that really has to go out of town to live and die. So, uh, it's going to take a lot of time. This is, the good news is we don't get to stop talking. We, we can talk about bad Purdue for probably another year and a half, maybe likely more. It's going to take time. Yeah. Yeah, he I'm inherited a really good uh, roster at Western Kentucky. Let's see. So his passer, yeah, that's, I mean, he had, they were primed at least after a year of Petrino. Like he's going to return uh, their, their quarterback, David Blah, was a uh, sophomore, uh, granted a sophomore who took 28 sacks and threw 21 interceptions, but he was Damn. a sophomore, uh, had some potential there. Receiving core was very senior heavy though. Um, you know, they, so they'll probably have to lean on the run a little bit. The run game wasn't any good. So yeah, it's probably not going to be some sort of immediate, he, he inherits this personnel and boom kind of situation. But, um, yeah, I mean, good, uh, good for them. And then good for Western Kentucky for replacing him with a quarterback whisperer. Uh, Mike Sanford. Excellent hire. Yeah. Going to have to recruit Mike Sanford's a former WKU assistant, um, from a couple years back. They're going to have to recruit. They're going to have to overhaul because the guys who came in under Petrino and Taggart and stayed through for Brom, most of those guys are cycling out. So that's going to be a – in other words, though. they're not going to be back-to-back conference champions right out the bat. Well, I mean, in the conference USA, I don't think you can guarantee that. But um, he does get Mike White back most likely. And, yeah. uh, he, and, and White made some serious progress this year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, again, impressed with most of these. One guy I wanted to bring up – I do have something to say about Norvell here in a second, but I'm really curious what you think about Sean Elliott. Uh, it I, wasn't I was really talking about to develop an opinion on this one. I'm kind of, well, I'm kind of in the same boat. Like it wasn't what we talked about. I don't think Sean Elliott is in any way what when we when we tried to fit that Georgia State hire right. because that was one of our sponsored segments. Um, doesn't really fit any of the parameters that we talked about of like. Uh, big dynamic personality, youthful, going to run, try and find something alternative or dynamic in terms of the system that you're running and then get out and kind of ignite Atlanta. It's probably not any of that. Um, (laughs) I've heard nothing but good things about him as a coach, um, but this isn't really, to me, it's not a program in which your acumen necessarily as a Monday through Saturday football coach is what is going to define your success. Unless you're really, really good at Monday through Saturday. I mean, like, if he nails that part, then fine. But the, um, And I don't, I don't want to speak ill of the man or anything. Um, it's it's going to come down to the staff he hires and how he recruits the city. It's very much like an FIU or FAU in which that, on paper, the existence of the program is centered around the talent in the backyard. You just have to capitalize on that. Um, and it's really hard to capitalize on that. As far as pulling in some sort of excitement to the program, I mean, I don't think they did that. Like, that, I don't think it fits. I, I, I hate to say this about a guy who hasn't coached a single second yet, but a good example is this. Like, we just lauded Jeff Brom, Jeff right? Um Petrino, Taggart, Brom, Western Kentucky, they, they still can't fill out a game. 
in, in <laughs> like in one of the smallest stadiums in, in a nice stadium, by the way. If you ever go to Bowling Green, it's a very nice stadium. Um, there's no excitement there. Maybe it's not possible. Atlanta is a transient city, more so than almost anywhere else in the country. You have to you have to create stakes. You have to do something dynamic to draw people in. You know, I think I think I'll have to go back and listen to our segment or I don't know, just Google it. But that new stadium would be on track for maybe two years from now. I don't know right. what's going to necessarily draw people down I seventy five to go sit in that stadium, and that's what you need. It can't just be a. What I'm saying is that like Elliot could do absolutely everything right and this is an eight to 10 win program in the Sun Belt, And I still don't know what, what's going to happen necessarily in terms of them just falling off the face of the earth in Atlanta. It's just really hard. It's a hard city to, to get people interested but, in. I don't know what this hire does, but if he can get to where they're winning eight games, um, I mean, that's maybe there's not a lot of growth potential beyond that, but they're in the Sun Belt, and, and you can win eight games and, and kind of create a decent niche for yourself and probably get hired away uh, in the in the Sun Belt. But, I mean, I think really the stadium being kind of off on the horizon still might benefit Elliot just from the sense of he's got a couple of years and he can, uh, you know, change out some of that. He can you know, get get a, a little bit of a blood transfusion going, and he can, you know, build back up to four, five, six wins or something like that. Yeah. And then in two years, whenever it is, put a very experienced team on the field, one that uh, maybe is getting a little Sun Belt Conference title kind of hype. Uh, and he can kind of build towards that. He does, This isn't – since the stadium's not ready today or won't be ready in nine months, maybe there isn't quite as much pressure to have some big – we got to sell tickets right now. We need somebody exciting kind of thing. Maybe they can take their time here. That's not usually how college football works. I don't think Georgia state has a choice, but no, I mean, he's, you know, he's got Jerry Moore and Steve Spurrier all over his coaching DNA. That's a good starting point. And he was good enough to be named interim coach. He was good enough to be retained by Muschamp. Like he, he seems from a coaching standpoint, maybe he can ace that and get them to eight or 10 wins uh, just from being a good coach and nothing more. But uh, yeah, I mean they're not they're not cop- capturing the heart of Atlanta and and threatening to move up anytime soon. Lane Kiffin, how do we talk about this in a smart way? Um, I, the only thing I can really add, uh, like, cause it, it happened immediately. Like, I I posted this uh, piece uh, on Wednesday and immediately got a, he's so overrated. I I don't know why everybody likes him so much. He was terrible at USC. You know, a the point I tried to make immediately was. We, we we know terrible now. Like Notre Dame went four and eight. I don't know if you've heard that Notre Dame went four and eight. By the way, uh, they went four and eight. Texas has had a losing record for three straight years. USC's worst season at Kiffin. What basically got him fired? They were seven and six. Um, and if he hadn't gotten fired the year he was at USC, they'd have still been okay. They would have won seven eight games. Like that was the and that was with sanctions uh, hindering depth. He's not a terrible coach. His biggest problems were not coaching. Uh, it was the fact that because of his personality and everything else, he had to be perfect to be bearable. And he was absolutely not perfect. So, I mean, I think, I, I think it's time. I'm really happy. I'm, I'm happy that he took this move instead of the LSU offensive coordinator. He had proven everything he could possibly prove as an SEC offensive coordinator. And now he has to yeah. prove that he can actually run a program again and not piss everybody off in the process. And he's done everything he possibly can over the last two, three years to do that. And now we just have to see if it works. So I love it. I mean, I love, Number one, it's going to make Conference USA previews a hell of a lot more fun to talk about with him and um, and Butch, and then of course Western Kentucky and all that. Um, but I mean, I just I think this was a great move. I'm glad he took it, and I'm I'm really really curious to see what happens. Again, uh, really interested to see what kind of staff he can put together, and really yeah. interested to see what kind of resources they're going to put out there for him. This that FAU is a program now. You're never ever going to have this much attention do something with it figure it out your external your however your 80s department is structured there's probably a one or two positions for external marketing or external you know community relations whatever you gotta do something with this you gotta find ways to build equity off of this and and do what western kentucky did too like be ready to move on have a plan in place for what happens if or when he leaves because if he succeeds he leaves, and like you know that going in, but oh, have this, a plan. Kiffin at FAU, not that it's going to happen because I don't think he, it's possible with the roster, 
it's it, it's it falls within the acceptable one and done parameter. Right. Just like yeah, just I'd be like, impressed. I'd be impressed if he can do enough in one year. But yeah. All right. Well, what about this? Then all right. Let me posit this. Let's say a job friendly to the environment that that Kiffin would foster or want or whatever is open, and he's seven and five or eight and four. Nobody in, thinks that it, 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 it may not actually be physically possible for him to take any ro- or any coach to take that roster and go ten and two. Okay. Right. Yeah, I think I think there are enough assumptions with Kiffin that if he gets to seven and five, and they're also on pace to get like a, a you know the best recruiting class in Conference USA, maybe that's enough. I hope not. I, I do like among other things. You know, what have I always said about Lane Kiffin, like in, on this podcast and in in writing and everything else, that he knows how to take superior talent and deploy it. And because of his recruiting ability, he knows how to create superior talent. He's he he's not walking into this that situation. If he can turn FAU even to like a seven eight win program next year, he will have proven like the one thing he didn't really uh, really prove it like USC. USC when Marquise Lee was healthy, when Robert he had Lee and Woods healthy and he could run that bell cow offense he liked to, he likes to do so much. Um, it, it was great, but then Lee got hurt, uh, and suddenly there was really no plan B. And, you know, that, that, that was basically what he ran at Alabama a couple of years ago. He, I think he's shown a lot more flexibility in his system this year, you know, not leaning on one guy, running one guy into the ground. And maybe that has prepared him. But there's not going to be uh, a bell cow at Florida Atlantic right, off the, right out of the gates. And so he's going to have to figure out like, how, how to succeed when he doesn't have clear superior talent, even within his own conference. So really, really curious to see what he does there. And this is a perfect – this is a perfect way for him to prove the one thing he hasn't proven yet. Now, um, he's got a, a receiver named Caleb Woods who, uh, who averaged like nine yards per target. He's got a, a couple of young running backs, or one's a junior, one's a freshman, uh, Gregory Howell Jr. and Devin Singletary, both explosive. Like maybe he does have some bell cows he can use there, but he just, it's going to be, I'm, yeah, I'm curious. That's all I can say. I'm really excited to see what happens because uh, I'm not completely sure it's going to be good, but it'll probably be, probably be good. Tom Herman's in Texas. Yes. This one I think may have actually happened when I was still on the podcast. But um, this is going to be one of the most interesting spring games for me that I may have ever seen because nothing to do with the play calling, nothing to do with you know what he may or may not do with Shane Michelle or what they try and do on defense right away. Um, I want to see how fast a locker room that – yeah. was one of the most public of all time in defending a losing head coach, how they cottoned to Herman's brand of aggressive enthusiasm and kind of a player-centric mindset. You know, I got to go behind the scenes with Houston a couple times, and I got to sit in on, like, player meetings and stuff that I couldn't, like, record or quote, and it was an, it was an awesome environment for Houston, for the players. I'm... But the deck is stacked against him building that kind of trust right away, which is exactly what he has to do to get these guys to buy in. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting. It, like it's a legitimately interesting spring arc as we move forward. Texas obviously doesn't go to a bowl game. They won't practice again until I think they start maybe late February. Uh, I just I don't know what to think yet. It, it's not a like, it, it, yeah. In a lot of ways, it's a slam dunk hire, and Herman's an amazing coach. Um, what's the what's the floor for 2017 with him? Like, what do they expect? Is if he has to retool a lot of issues that were related to some structural problems, or if he doesn't get a if he doesn't get an 85 percent buy in on the roster, he will call the roster. So he will encourage transfers and that kind of thing. And I'm not saying that like it's a my way or the highway thing. It just he's very big about not sort of having poison in the culture. Do they lose depth because of that? What are they going to do on defense right away? We are. I mean, you know, it, it's going to be Todd Orlando's defense. Uh, it, this, I mean, I don't really have anything to add to it. It's going to be a really interesting spring because this is the one coach that has to come in of anybody who's caught a big job. Maybe Ed Ogeron, obviously, you know. I don't know. Yeah, I guess Ed Ogeron is probably in a similar, even more aggressive scenario of like you cannot lose yet, you know? Right. Um, but I, Tom, um, I mean, Tom has to come in, and I mean, I'm sure we, we've got nine months to talk about this, Bill, and we will. Uh, I mean, Tom has to come in and be dynamic on day one. 
Can you come back to AAC Media Day just for fun, by the way? Um, Probably. No, we know how this. We know how this works. So Actually, he's going he, to. By the way, if you remember that, he was. We can say this now. So pissed off that he had to be there. <laughs> you remember they that? Were gone, they were gone real quick too. They were. They were. He was in. He was in Newport for like whatever the absolute minimum amount of time it would take to get a charter from Houston, Texas to Rhode Island and back and fulfill the obligations because it was an active window for junior recruiting. Oh my God, he was pissed. <laughs> but still, still got the got to take in the lobster. Still got to uh, you know drop a couple of f bombs that we had to edit out. Houston um, Rap Trivia too. That's where we that's where we recorded that. Yeah. So um, we know how this works with media and everything else. So the the, the pre-made storylines, there are two of them. Either, I you know, I assume he will get buy-in. Like, I think he's a powerful enough personality. I think he'll get buy-in from players. And I think he'll get buy-in from the boosters he needs to get buy-in from. He does kind of have that power of personality thing with like Saban has where all the different soap opera elements that can play into life at Texas – uh, he will get a, a nice sized window of, uh, you know, of buy-in for, from that. But we know that if he doesn't get buy-in, then this all turns around really quickly. And the stories are going to be like, his act doesn't play at Texas. You know, it, we're going to go down that road. And it's, I'm already annoyed by that storyline because it's, I hate all like pre-canned storylines. Right. But we know that's where this goes. And it could turn negative really quickly on the off chance that he doesn't get the buy-in that he needs. I'm going to be fascinated. It's going to be a his act doesn't play kind of thing. We have we have some we have some friendly faces that we know at LHN, but I don't think they'd be down for letting us do this. But I would love to like put the first six months of Charlie Strong's LHN obligations up against Tom's and like what they do. <laughs> yeah, probably not going to happen. But you no, know, probably not. A man can dream. Um, Bill, do we have yes. polls this weekend? <laughs> You're damn right we do. We have like. I mean, I realize this is kind of, you know, branding for me to say this. We have the best Saturday of bowls, of the best opening Saturday of bowls that we've ever had. Now, on our last show, we broke down the bowls as fast as we could. We made mention of the fact that there's an inordinate high quality right up at the front. Yes. It kind of wanes a little bit in the middle. And normally, normally, you go, you, you almost have a perfect, uh, like a perfect line up on the, I don't know, help me here, chart guy. You know what I'm talking about. Like a perfect... Yes grade up usually in quality usually whereas this year why like how did that happen is it just dumb luck i think it was basically dumb luck just you know where teams ended up like houston could have won the aac and ended up in a completely right. different situation but here's your uh, here's your weekend here's your weekend. tell the people uh, tell the people if you get three games to watch this weekend or or like this four-day weekend since it's like holiday time and stuff three give me the three games you gotta watch because we've broken down every game. We're not going to do that again. But in a pure viewing experience, I want you to sell me sell me a car right now. Okay. I want to buy this um, Subaru. So, well, first, let me, here's, let me lay out the entire schedule, including FCS, and then I'll pick okay. out the ones that you absolutely need to watch. So your schedule this weekend is phenomenal. It is Friday early evening on ESPN2, James Madison, North Dakota State, in the F- FCS semifinals. That is, I mean, that is as, as heavyweight as it gets at the FCS level. That's going to be an enormous game. The next morning at 11 o'clock Central Time, God's Time, North Carolina Central Grambling in the Celebration Bowl, the best team from each of those conferences won the conference title. Grambling is legitimately awesome. And I mean, like I saw NC Central and I came away kind of impressed. They're like a two-touchdown favorite. This is a good Grambling team, and it's Grambling. Everybody knows Grambling. That's going to be fun. Uh, two o'clock, or excuse me, one o'clock central on ESPN, New Mexico, UTSA. Uh, you can probably skip that one. That's not going to be one of the three that I choose, although New Mexico's offense is fun. And Frank Wilson is now, I think we can say ahead of schedule, mm-hmm. um, two thirty Houston, San Diego state is obviously you are, I mean, that's, that's two of probably the, probably the four or five best group of five teams in the country, um, on the opening Saturday. That's awesome. I mean, that game, actually, that game ranks top five, maybe of the bowls. Yeah. It's going to be a good one. Um, four thirty Appalachian state Toledo on ESPN in the Camellia bowl. I have the feeling Camellia bowl, excuse me. I have the feeling that's actually going to be kind of a dud, like a high quality, but not incredibly fun to watch game. Gotcha. Uh, Appalachian state kind of has that quality. Their offense is very, um, conservative and straightforward and, and, and they're good at it, but it's not necessarily the most fun game to watch. Could miss fire. Good to know. Yeah. 
4.30 also on CBS Sports, uh, the channel you don't get. Central Florida and Arkansas State in the AutoNation Cure Bowl. Uh, good for the Cure Bowl for getting a local team, but you can probably skip that one too. UCF's not quite ready. Arkansas State's not quite at the standard they were last year. Yes, yes. 8, eight o'clock, the perfect 8 o'clock Saturday night opening bowl weekend game. Southern Miss, Louisiana, Lafayette in front of at least forty to 50,000 in the Superdome. I think that game so, will, I think with walk-up, that game will sell out the way they have it scaled. Uh, oh, oh yeah, with the scale, yeah. Uh, and also in between those, at 5.30 Central on ESPNU, Youngstown State, Eastern Washington in the other semifinal game. Eastern Washington is always very fun to watch, and Bo Pelini on the sideline is always very fun to watch. So, Bo of those, what did I just say? Eight games. Huh? I said Bo Pelini's creeping on a national title. Oh, yeah, I mean, he has to go through North Dakota State eventually, but yes. I said um, creeping. <laughs> Yeah, they that was uh, that's been a nice run for them. They knocked out a lot, knocked knocked off a lot of teams, including Jacksonville State. Um, so of those eight games, really the ones you should absolutely watch. Uh, you know, honestly, in terms of quality, James Madison, North Dakota State is up there. North Dakota State's like Appalachian State, and they're, they're very high quality and sometimes bland on offense. Yeah, but it's in Fargo. That's always a really fun environment. I would watch. Oh, man, I can't limit myself to three, so I'm not going to do that one. Watch the damn Celebration Bowl. Watch the damn Celebration Bowl at 11. Uh, it's fun. It's going to be in front of 30-something thousand people, which is for a bowl is awesome. Um, and Grambling is legitimately awesome. Watch that game. Watch Houston-San Diego State. Watch Southern Miss-Louisiana Lafayette for pure drunk chaos. Uh, teams really caring about a game that doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Boom. Okay. All right. All right. I'll accept it. I'll accept it. I feel like you cheated me on the three, but that's fine. No, I ended up I ended up settling on three. Really, I will sell all eight, but I, I ended up sell, settling on three. There's so much going on. This, I still this. I hate to say this 50 minutes in, but I feel like we're it's a very disorganized episode. It's just that we've had a lot of like behind the scenes stuff going on. Um, we didn't we talk didn't about talk. Luke Fickle. Yeah. That's true. That's going to be an interesting move. We'll just table that for a future show. Yeah. Um, I, I, when I got to him on my grades thing yesterday, I was like, well. Makes sense. And that was really all I could come up with. I'm really curious, uh, his offensive hires. I'm really curious about a lot of things with him, but I don't know enough to have a, a strong opinion here. No, I'm, I agree. We'll have, to, we'll have to put a pin in that one. Um, I'll probably swing up to Cincinnati in the offseason and talk to him and hear some urbanisms. I probably think I'll yeah. feel like that's uh, going to happen. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so we're going to make this a 60-minute show uh, just so I don't miss my plane home. Um, we got 10 minutes left, Bill. Do you want to try and do some fast reader questions? We've already previewed our, our immediate bowls, and is there, any, is there anywhere we want to go for sure on this? Uh, yeah, we have a couple of reader uh, questions here that uh, we should probably try to get to. Let's this go back to... because we actually have 10 minutes, and usually we take 10 minutes of reader questions, so... Well, one of them is is very, very easy. So uh, okay, the first question, I got this a couple days ago from our friend Nick Queen in Columbus. We okay. always hear about teams losing motivation during bowl season, especially with the loss of a coach. Yeah. Have you ever run the win-loss totals during bowl season for teams with recently de- departed coaches? Trend not, might not be obvious with a year, but I'm sure we would see something within a five- or ten-year window. Um I have not actually, I mean, I've not, I wouldn't use win loss. I would use like some sort of like performance versus the spread or something. This is a very interesting thing to do and I should absolutely do it at some point. I have not. I'm pretty sure, however, that we will not see hardly any sort of trend because for every dud, you get a let's play our hearts out for the, for the interim coach situation. Like the, the, when Texas Tech won the Alamo Bowl after that demoralizing Mike Leach situation, the way that ended, they fought their guts out for Ruffin McNeil. So yeah. you never know in advance. I, I don't think there's going to be any sort of trend there, but it is something I should probably look at. Among other people, uh, among other things, people would read it, so therefore I should do it. Um, okay. Next question. You got this one as well. Our friend John Wen from Stanford. Hey, buddy. Um, hey, hey, John. Um, was wondering if you could talk more about G5 coaching and program building with the recent spate of new G5 hires. You guys mentioned. Some John, that's all that we do. Awesome. 
we that we're always looking for new for those new uh, exciting up and comers who are probably using a G5 coaching gig, gig as a stopgap to a bigger job. Is that the only way to success for these G5s? Do some ADs prefer to having a stable long term coach over a young exciting coach who might be only there for a few years? Is constantly hiring new young coaches the only path to success in G5? Not the only path, it's but the most predominant path. Right, because even even expen- uh, experienced coaches can still leave. But well, let's look. Let's look at. Let's look at the our favorite conference real fast. Yes, Tommy Tuberville basically just got fired. Yes, right. And he won. He won some games. That was the alternative yeah, he, move there. Right. Um, Ruffin McNeil was a career assistant. Got fired. Um, Tom Herman, young dynamic, leaves. Chad Morris, he'll be gone next year. Trust me. Um, <laughs> Philip Montgomery won't be there long. Um, Scott Frost could be gone as early as next after next season. I, I feel like Willie Taggart gone. Um, that is sort of the mo. It kind of has to be when you're overcoming uh, brand efficiency and recruiting resources and marketing. You need someone. You 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 do need that sort of that youthful dynamic to overcompensate. So yeah, is it and I think possible to do it without that. No, is it the is it kind of been proven to be the best way to do it? Yeah, I think so. So tell me, like, tell me if I'm missing one, but the two teams that I can think of that have basically somehow have kind of stumbled into a situation where they've got a long-term successful head coach. Uh, number one, uh, stock still at Tennessee at Middle Tennessee, and his record. I can't tell you specifically why he hasn't gotten a bigger job, but his record has has basically been just up and down enough that every time his stock gets hot, he, he plummets. So he like in in '09, he won ten games. Um, he was and a won the New Orleans in Bowl. Maryland one year, yeah, uh, and turned them down. Yeah, uh, and but but maybe some other offers would have come around. But he went from ten wins to six to two in 2011. Somehow kept his job, and now he's kind of. He's settled into kind of an eight wins per year thing, which is great because a it's not quite good enough to get people's attention, and yeah. b it's it's eight wins a year. You're going bowling every year. This year they would have probably done better than that if had their quarterback, aka the the coach's son, not gotten hurt. I watched I watched Middle Tennessee live this year, and their offense was tremendous before Stockstill got hurt. But that's been that's that's one, uh, and and maybe he's just super happy at Troy uh, at Middle Tennessee. It doesn't really work that way typically. I just gave away the other one, uh, Larry Blakeney at Troy, who was basically toxic for a power conference job because of his role in uh, in one of Auburn's uh, bouts with NCAA sanctions. Um, he basically kept his nose clean or nose clean enough at Troy. But he was never really a candidate for any other job. Therefore, he was able to settle into a, a long-term position a, 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 with the Trojans. So that worked out. I mean, they faded at the end, but they were consistently solid for for their level. And and I mean, that's great. But it took that. It took that situation. It took him not being able to be hired really uh, at a higher job for him to uh, stay at Troy. I think. And I think. I think this. I think the examples you provide provide fuel to a different argument, which is that there are there G five is not an all encompassing term anymore. I do believe that there's a middle class. Right. I'm not yeah. quite ready for Oresco to tell me and me believe it that there's a power six. Um, but there is a difference between, you know, the boosters at Houston coming out and saying Major Applewhite, you know, we hey, we fire coaches for eight and four. Right. That doesn't happen at Troy and Middle Tennessee State. They don't have huge athletic facilities that they're trying to build out to to fill up and, and to pay for. Uh, Troy and Middle Tennessee State are places where you, you can settle in for a long time and be consistent and, and get by in thin years on your relationships that you have in the community and with the AD. Um, that's just not the case in the AAC. Every one of those programs is trying to strive to be the best they possibly can right underneath the, the constraints placed by the Power Five. So I think that's the biggest difference. I don't know if you can yeah, have and they've... consistency at, at like, a bo- you know, Boise. I would throw Boise in there. I would throw BYU in there. I would throw... Um, it used to be you'd throw Fresno in there. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any any other programs like that. I mean, Georgia Southern's a good example, just because of the expectations that they they just tried to they just tried to fire a first year head coach. The boosters like organized a coup. Um, it didn't work, but they got it didn't work somehow. Well, it didn't work, but they got a lot of assistants fired. Um, there are programs with with set expectations that are different. You know, you have to win immediately, consistently, and aggressively, and in a certain style at Georgia Southern, and you don't have to do that at 
Tulane, you know? Right. You don't. So um, I, think, I think it matters think a lot. I guess the long answer to the question is that it matters a lot what program you're at in the, in the G5. By the way, it took us six minutes to answer this. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're still – that's below average for us. I think the AAC has, has um, adopted, has, has accepted, has embraced its reputation as the home for good young coaches. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe that has hurt. That, that probably – really, that hurt Ruffin McNeil a lot because he was doing okay at East Carolina. But these other schools had energy and – they were popping a little more than Eastern Carolina was, or East Carolina was, and mm-hmm. so they decided to go ahead and get their own young coach and bombed this year. But uh, I mean, maybe he still succeeds. But I do think it was that, uh, to some degree, it was the pressure of um, watching other teams aim for more upside and reach it that made East Carolina panic and hire a pretty good coach. So um, the panic hires don't usually work, but uh, you know, I, I at least kind of understand the logic there, and I do think that. The AAC being the home of good young coaches was uh, a big role in it. Um, last last question here. We've got we're at what well, like fifty four ish minutes. Um, got this one from our friend Andy yesterday. I guess yes, yesterday. Uh, hi, Bill and Godfrey. One wanted to weigh in on the PAP and pronunciation debate of twenty sixteen. The letters are spoken separately. Right. Yes. Uh, Two, Willie Taggart to Oregon. Love what I read about the man, and Godfrey's features on him are really good work. Personally, want to him to succeed, and now is the time for any fan base's greatest optimism. However, am I the only one getting the Rich Rod to Michigan vibe? Isn't, that, isn't this the story? Wow. Coach Lee's quote-unquote home for a higher prestige job, no real local ties. Um, it's almost nine hours from UO to his previous job at Stanford. Uh, offensive reputation is solid, has a terrible defense that ends up being his downfall. I had even heard Charlie Strong mention his DC. Greg Robinson came from UT also. Um, love the podcast. Thanks for not swearing recently. Uh, P.S. My, my daughter, my six-year-old daughter loved watching Elf. Uh, Bill, you should try it. Uh, that's We are probably about that stage with, with the kid. She, she's into the Tim Allen themed movies. Maybe Whew. she's ready for, for, uh, for Will, Will Ferrell as well. All right. Okay, well, so, nothing, nothing is the Rich Rod to Michigan scenario. Nothing is that unless the unless Oregon actively conspires against Willie Taggart <laughs> from the right. day that he shows up on campus. Okay? And, and, and pins him to Greg Robinson, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, one other... it's an extreme comparison because it may – I mean, I really don't want to endorse John Bacon's BS, but, like, three and out – is not an entirely accurate portrayal of what happened. I don't know why I'm treading so lightly. Is it like he listens? Um, <laughs> that guy blows a lot of smoke up his own ass. But there, there are some interesting parts of that book that do that are legit from what I've been told about that. It, you cannot replicate Rich Rod in Michigan. Like you have bad coach and school pairings all the time. I guarantee you, two or three of the ones we just talked about are going to end up being really acidic. But nothing, nothing like like that no i don't believe that that taggart and oregon are going to do that because people like phil knight are invested in willie and he they believe that's why they hired him so my addition to this would be that willie taggart so when he went to western kentucky in 2010 uh western kentucky had had just ranked 118th in defensive smb plus over his three years they went 108th then 80th then 67th uh and at south florida then he inherited a defense that had ranked 57th. In its first year, they ranked 34th. Uh, in his third year, they ranked 46th. In between, the, you know, it seems like he was vulnerable to tip, like to inexperience, not quite having the right personnel. That w- that it was the case again this year. They bom- they they uh, collapsed in 2016, just like they did in 2014. But don't look at 2016 and assume he's all offense, no defense. It has not been that way historically. That's, that's, been a, that's been a recent development for Willie Taggart that it's actually gone in that direction instead. Yeah. Um, Boom. Three man. questions in like 10 minutes tops. That was pretty good. All right. Okay, Bill, I got to go do stuff. I got to go get on the airplane and fly home. And uh, I tell you what, I'm, uh, let's just give the people what they want. Let's, we'll do two <laughs> next week. How's that? Everybody happy? Okay. We'll do two. I'm sorry I was gone. Sorry, Bill had a bunch of miscreant youth on this program and talking about Christmas <laughs> movies and mispronouncing the show and all that other business. Um, damn kids. Um, I'll be back next week with Bill. We'll find out what days of the week we'll do them. Maybe two small ones. I don't know. Maybe one long one. 
I don't know. Y'all add us. Just let me know. Do you want a long one? Do you want two regular ones? I don't know. Our gift to you. Um, and if we do two next week, we're going to need... There will be headlines and stuff. I didn't even talk about Army-Navy. Um, we, we can get into that, but I, we're going to need more questions. So y'all y'all hit us up, as you always do. Um, you can find us on the internet at the snbnation.com uh, college football area. You can find Bill uh, at sbn underscore Bill C. Uh, I'm at at 38 Godfrey. You know this at this point. Um, thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you next week. Yep.